following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I urge you to listen carefully today because you're going to hear some startling things and a new challenge, a whole new level of devotion to Jesus Christ. Mr. Producer, am I still coming in very low? Okay. I've been speaking to you about prayer. I've been speaking all this week on prayer. And by the way, tomorrow will be Friday and I will be live on air tomorrow because there are things we need to talk about. And so I'll be live with you tomorrow. Now I want to share with you a scripture that I've looked at so many times and it has come booming through the Spirit at me once more. It's found in John, the 15th chapter. I'll begin with verse 5. Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one remaining in union with me and I with him, this one bears much fruit because apart from me, you are not able to do anything. Now, the reason we pray is because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And prayer is the connection to God. It is the connection to Jesus Christ. And without prayer, nothing's going to happen. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I have been a pastor for many, many years. I have pastored in small churches, in medium-sized churches, in mega-churches. And in all of those churches, I've consistently experienced the same thing. And I began to experience that at the National Prayer Chapel as well, where the focus is on maintaining the institution of the church, where we do the welcome and we do the offertory and we do the music and we do this and we do that. And then we do a sermon and then we go home and people drift in as they choose or they don't come at all. They're casual. They come to listen, to have a social network. Not all, but some. Well, the majority. I can't do that at the National Prayer Chapel any longer. 
I'm calling for a whole new level of devotion. And I'm going to include you in the radio listening audience because I consider you to be a part of the congregation of the National Prayer Chapel. So I'm going to lay out some things today and then I'm going to call you to that new level of devotion. So prepare your hearts. It won't be easy. But let me share. Charles Finney has had a very profound impact in my life and in America. He was an old-timer, filled with the Holy Spirit, probably brought more people to Jesus Christ in a day where there was no radio and no television than any other single person save perhaps the Apostle Paul, and he may have even exceeded the Apostle Paul's ministry. It's estimated that more than 250,000 people were brought to Jesus and totally changed, and years after when polling was done, they found 90-some percent of those people still faithful to Jesus, walking holy before God. This was no casual endeavor. I want to share with you from a sermon, a sermon that he preached. The sermon is entitled, Dependence on Christ. It was February 26, 1845, 100 years before I was born. I want to share much of what he has to say about the requisite behavior on the part of a person who truly wants to produce something for the kingdom of God. He begins by talking about the importance of understanding and believing the doctrine of this passage of Scripture I've just read for you in John, the 15th chapter, verse 5. Again, Apart from me, you are not able to do anything. Well, if we do not understand that we are dependent on Jesus, we shall not and cannot believe this statement. It is impossible to believe what we do not understand. This is sometimes doubted, but if properly understood, the proposition must be self-evident. We cannot believe unless the mind apprehends that for which it is to be believed. Yet I may believe a fact without being able to explain the philosophy of the facts. For example, I may believe the fact that Christ died for sinners without being at all able to understand the high policy of Jehovah's government upon which the doctrine of atonement is based, or which rendered his death necessary. Now, I'm not required to believe anything respecting the philosophy of the atonement, but simply the fact a thing which I can understand. It may be gratifying and useful for me to search out the philosophy of it, but it's not at all necessary to my salvation. So I may believe thousands of facts and truths, the philosophy of which I cannot comprehend, 
but I'm not able nor am I required to believe anything more in any case than I can understand. The doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I can understand that the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Ghost is God. But the exact sense in which these are three, and the sense also in which they are one, I cannot comprehend, nor am I under any obligation to comprehend it, nor to believe anything more respecting this or any other doctrine than I can comprehend and understand. It's therefore of great importance with respect to the doctrine of our dependence upon Jesus that we should understand the fact as a fact. Whether or not we are able to understand the philosophy of this dependence is of no consequence. It is enough for us to understand that such is the fact. Without Christ, we can do nothing. I spoke with a Christian secretary this morning. As I was leaving the office, I said to her, a wonderful, sweet Christian woman, I said to her, in response to, how are you, pastor? I said, I'm... I'm having a difficult time. Oh, why? Well, because I'm trying to understand what it would mean to not be able to produce anything without depending on Jesus. She rolled her eyes and she said, Pastor, I try to understand that too, but most of the time I'm not even free to think about it. Wow. Wow. To understand this doctrine is more than to admit that it's true. I may admit a thing in theory, which after all, I don't understand. I may admit multitudes of truth, yea, any and all truths of the gospel without really understanding one of them. The truth of our dependency upon Jesus is generally admitted but not so generally is it rationally understood. Properly to understand it is to realize it, to perceive it as truth, and to have in mind a felt realization of that truth. In other words, an intellectual assent to the fact that I can do nothing without Jesus is insufficient there must be much more than that. There must be an actual heart connection with the truth. To believe this truth is more than to hold it as a theory. A man may hold in theory the whole confession of faith. He may defend it. He may argue in favor of it. He may suppose himself to believe it, while in fact, in the gospel sense, he does not believe a word of it. Many who professed faith in the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ have held it and defended it as a theory, but manifestly have not believed it. Faith is the yielding up of the mind to be influenced by truth apprehended by the intellect. It's the mind's confiding trusting and receiving a truth 
So faith is when I yield my mind and I apprehend it and I act upon it and my behavior changes. It is the mind's confiding, trusting, and receiving a truth. Now, nothing is more common than for a person to hold and defend a truth in theory which they do not really believe because they don't live it out. To believe the doctrine of our dependence upon Christ is to commit to surrender the mind up to the influence of this truth, to repose on Christ, to confide the soul really to his keeping. I woke up this morning with terror in my heart. I could not sleep. I woke up with terror in my heart because everything is being changed at the National Prayer Chapel. There is no assurance in the physical that it will even survive the change and the surgery that's going on. And I was terrified. I've spent years ministering at the National Prayer Chapel. And it was not until I read this statement that the cool wind of God's presence began to blow through my heart to surrender to the repose of my mind on Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not trying to build an institution, and I've been very plain with you and with the church that I'm not in the business of building a great congregation. Rather, my whole focus is the coming of the Holy Spirit to win the lost and to sanctify the body of Christ. I'm tired of doing church. And I'm going back to the Scripture. And what is the model in the Scripture? The model in the Scripture is the upper room where 120 people gathered to pray and to seek the Holy Spirit. So this Sunday at the National Prayer Chapel, we're not going to have a welcome. We're not going to have an offertory. We're not going to have a not going to have an institutional church. Those who choose will come together and understand that we are going to be like the 120, even though this Sunday we may be many less than 120. We're going to go back to basics. We're going to In modern parlance, we're going to baseline the National Prayer Chapel. I'm not going to spend one more minute trying to uphold, maintain, and build an institutional church. And I didn't mean to do that at the National Prayer Chapel. It just slowly happened as as the church grew and as we 
build on habit. We have to do this and we have to do that and we have to do this. And and when we do all of that, we've done church. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Church is when the body of Christ comes together and cries out for the lost and the dying. Church is when we give up judging one another. Church is when we no longer criticize one another and no longer come for entertainment. Church is when we earnestly, wholeheartedly desire nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen. I'm going to continue with this article, but I want to just say, please, quickly. What good are you doing in the church you're going to? I'm going to invite you, if you're one of the giraffes, if you're one of those people who see a higher thing, you have a larger vision, you want with all of your heart to see the possibility, you want to see the possibility of true revival and the salvation of the lost and the dying in Washington, D.C., I'm laying the life of the National Prayer Chapel down on the line. I'm laying my life down on the line. I'm only going to be about one thing from this day forward. And that is the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit to be one in Jesus for the salvation of the lost and the sanctification of the church. I'm not going to do church. I'm going to be church. If you have any interest in being church instead of doing or going to church, I ask you please come and begin to build up that 150 people who will intercede for Washington, D.C. and cry aloud for righteousness and revival. Now, if any continues to believe this truth, that is of the truth that we can do nothing without Jesus Christ, to believe this truth implies the continual remembrance of it. It implies that we hold the mind in the attitude of dependence and trust. And this morning in my terror, I had to begin to confess before God that I was not living in total dependence and trust in Jesus Christ. That was very sobering for me. But as soon as I began to confess that and to repose or to enter the rest of Jesus, my soul was completely at peace. Such a stillness has come over my heart and all fear is gone. Finney says, suppose I'm leading a little child by the hand and I give him my finger and I lead him along the brink of a frightful precipice and I tell him, without me, you will fall. Now, if he believes this, he will hold fast to my hand. His mind will be 
in a constant attitude of depending, trusting, holding on to me. This illustrates what I mean by believing in our dependence upon Christ. The mind that believes in this will not attempt to do anything without Jesus. Now may I be absolutely frank with you. That has always been my intention, but that has not always been my practice. It's always been my intent, intention to depend entirely on Jesus. But I've been caught up in trying to just maintain a church. Trying to just survive and, and wait on Jesus. Well, I'm not content to try to survive anymore, and I'm not content to just wait on Jesus. There's something much larger I must do, and that is to take the steps concretely that say, I am depending, I'm not waiting, I am depending on Jesus Christ to carry me through. There's another illustration Finney gives. Suppose there's a man here who has but one leg. He never attempts to walk without his crutch. When he sits down, he lays his crutch by his side or he sets it up within reach. Whenever he attempts to walk, the very first movement of his mind is toward his crutch. Just so with a mind that believes in the doctrine of dependence upon Christ. It is just as natural for this mind to throw itself upon Jesus in the performance of every duty as it is for the lame man to throw himself upon his crutch. And again, not to understand and believe this is infidelity in respect to Jesus. It is rebellion against Jesus. It is a very real rejection of the gospel of Christ and of Christ himself. No man understands and believes the gospel in any saving sense who does not understand and believe his universal dependence upon Jesus Christ. Again, the rejection of this doctrine renders the soul proud and presumptuous. If a man depends upon his own powers, unenlightened by the Spirit of Jesus, he is depending upon the bruised reed of his own resolutions, and he must inevitably find himself in perpetual condemnation. Again, to reject this doctrine of depending solely upon Jesus is to dishonor Jesus. It is to discard the gospel entirely. Now again, I must confess that I have depended upon Jesus and then I've gone out and tried to do what I thought I needed to do. 
And there have been times when the Holy Spirit has come and rebuked me and said, stop, wait, don't do it. And then there are those terrifying times when Jesus says, if you will depend on me, do this. And I say, but Jesus, if I do that, it's going to drop a bomb in my life. I'm going to lose everything. May I say this very kindly to each of you? I don't mean it in any way as a judgment or condemnation. But many of you do not even begin to understand the true leading of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit begins to lead, you say, that can't be Jesus because that goes against my convention. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, you say, that's not my culture. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, you say, I can't do that. I'm not going to be with you anymore, Pastor, because that can't be Jesus. And you've totally missed the leading of the Holy Spirit because you're not depending entirely upon Jesus. Now, please, I'm not saying that in any judgment. I often have missed Jesus. And I've made mistakes. And I've paid a heavy price for those mistakes. If we go to the Lord's Prayer, I want to read this for you. Listen. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Oh, it's not my will, is it? It's not my convention, is it? It's not my understanding, is it? It's not my right to judge. But if you don't recognize the moving of the Holy Spirit, you will oppose the Holy Spirit. You will stand in direct conflict with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation. This is Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into the parasmus, the piercing. What is the parasmus? It's the place of testing. It's the place to see if you truly understand the way of Jesus. Peter Jesus said to him, the devil wants to test you. The devil wants to assay you. He wants to see the value of the gold in you to see if you will turn aside from from Jesus. But Peter, after you've been tested, turn back. Care for the brother. And Satan tested him and he... He rejected Jesus and said, I don't know the man. And then he went out and wept bitterly. I've done that too. The passage goes on, but deliver us from evil. That's a poor translation. The word literally means 
heavy toil, weary toil, mind-numbing toil. And Jesus is saying, pray that you will not be tested, pierced by the devil. And pray that you will be delivered from all of this toil that occurs when you and you don't understand that Jesus must be totally dependent upon and that without him you can't do anything. Now back to this material from Charles Finney. To reject this doctrine of total dependence upon Jesus is to dishonor to dishonor Jesus it is to discard the gospel and if you discard the gospel my brother and sister you know what you have left you have religion you have a form of godliness with no power please I'm tired of leading a church that has a form of godliness but it does not have power I can't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. That's why we're going to the baseline and saying, look, let's start the upper room all over again. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's weep. Let's confess our sins. Let's get clean before God. And let's pray and say we're utterly dependent upon Jesus to win the lost and the dying. And let's say, O God, sanctify your church. If you want to be a part of that, come to the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday at 12 noon, and you'll experience something you've never experienced in your life. Again, Finney says, to reject or overlook this doctrine leaves the soul to neglect due watchfulness. If a man is not sensible of his constant dependence upon the indwelling Spirit of Christ, he will not feel the necessity of watchfulness and prayer so as to retain the Spirit of Christ. Again, the rejection of this doctrine fosters self-righteousness. If a man gets the idea that without the divine support and enlightenment, he performs acts that are acceptable to God, this is one of the worst forms of self-righteousness. Again, the rejection of this doctrine of dependence upon Jesus makes us the sport of temptation. A man is certain to be overcome if he attempts to resist the temptation in his own strength, just as certain as a man of one leg would be to fall if he should attempt to run without his crutch. The rejection of this doctrine, or might I add, forgetting about this doctrine and depending upon yourself leads to ultimate discouragement and hopelessness. When a person makes attempts to stand in their own strength, 
find themselves continually overcome, they are soon led to doubt seriously whether there's any such thing as standing before the power of temptation, finding themselves perfectly impotent in their own strength and not believing in Christ as they ought. And they fall, of course. Again, the understanding and belief in this truth tends to result in just the opposite of what I've just mentioned. To believe this truth causes the mind to be careful not to grieve the Spirit of Christ. It renders the soul humble and it empties it of all its proud, self-righteous dependence upon self. May I add, it breaks all of your traditions and all of your conventions and all of your judgments and all of your gossip. It breaks all of your dependence on the flesh, on the world, and on the devil. And he continues, it naturally engages the soul to love Jesus, to honor him, and watch carefully against doing anything that might displease him. It strips the mind of all dependence upon its own resolutions and unaided efforts. It teaches the mind where to go in the hour of temptation. It throws it upon Christ for all sufficient support it keeps the soul out of bondage it begets gratitude it fixes the attention and thoughts upon christ and engages the soul to live solely by faith in him now in some sense everyone knows it to be true that we must depend upon jesus Yet how few realize its truth in any such sense as to make it of practical use. This is evidently, or this is made evident partly from the fact that most don't even think about total dependence on Jesus. They don't realize it as the lame man realizes that he cannot walk without his crutch. His dependence upon his crutch is with him as an omnipresent reality. He's always think of it, thinking of it wherever he attempts to walk. And now if an individual really receives this truth of dependence on Jesus, it will be to him an omnipresent reality. The fact of his dependence upon Christ will be so deeply settled in his mind that he will just as naturally and certainly turn to Jesus for support as the lame man turns to his crutch. Another evidence that few realize and believe this truth is the fact that so little gratitude is felt and manifested to Jesus. I've seen this so many times in the church where people blow in and out depending on what their family might happen to plan for the day or they blow in and out depending on what their whims are, whether the sun is shining or whether it's raining no real commitment to make Jesus Christ the very heart and center of their life. We don't feel an obligation to Jesus. We take the credit of our life to ourself. 
Another evident truth is that it's not believed is the fact that so many are so little afraid to sin against Jesus. It cannot be that they would be so reckless of sinning against him if they believed themselves absolutely dependent on him for all their own right actions. Suppose that you were entirely dependent upon someone to lead and uphold you at every step you could take. Could you suffer yourself to abuse your guide and your supporter? Of course not. Another evidence is that there's so little prayer against temptation and so little looking to him for grace to support and strengthen us at every step. The Bible teaches that God works in us to will and to do his good pleasure, that all our springs are in him, that he is our life, and that there is no good in us, only as it is wrought in us by the Spirit of Christ. Now that there is much hearty confidence in these truths, even in the church, manifests itself in many in many ways. For example, there is very little prayer in the church for restraining grace, for upholding grace, for indwelling and energizing grace of the Holy Spirit. There is but little of the spirit of thanksgiving for the constant aid and agency of the Spirit of Christ. In short, Christians are kept from a besetting sin by the power of Jesus. And when they stop thanking him for this grace, when they begin to think that this grace of overcoming temptation to sin is something that is in them, Jesus has to withdraw. And then we learn by bitter experience that we can do nothing without Jesus. We need to learn the lesson of our dependence upon Jesus. It must become an ever-present reality in our hearts. The one thing, the most difficult thing in the Christian religion because it's so contrary to the natural pride and independence of our human nature. There's not a doctrine in the Bible which we're more prone to disbelieve and practically reject than this doctrine that we can do nothing without Jesus. The fact is we cannot take one step on the path of obedience without depending on Jesus any more than a lame man can take a step without his crutches. Again, Christ has more trouble with us on this point than in any other. It is easy for him to support us if he could persuade us to depend upon him. He can easily guide us if we will keep hold of his hand. He can easily carry our burdens if if we will suffer him to do so. He can work in and for us all that we need with infinite grace and ease if we will but trust in him and surrender up our mind to his power and his influence. The practical difficulty in the Christian faith lies in the right understanding and belief of the doctrine of our dependence upon Christ. I say a right understanding and belief because to believe this in one sense, in a particular form, is antinomianism. 
Jesus will do it all. I don't have to do anything. The other side is sheer legality. Legality rests in Christ, an atoning sacrifice, but not as an indwelling, upholding, all-sustaining, and controlling spirit. It receives an outward, but not an inward Christ. A Christ in heaven, but not a Christ in my heart. A mediator between God and man, an advocate on high, but not a present sanctification in the soul. It is receiving him in the latter sense that constitutes the right belief of of our dependence upon Christ. Indeed, he must be received both as an atoning sacrifice, a risen and reigning glorifying and glorified Redeemer, a mediator and advocate with the Father, and also as an indwelling, sanctifying, constantly operating, upholding, guiding, renovating spirit. He must be received by the mind, by faith. Mr. Producer, play that song for us. I'm not going back.
Understand what I'm not going back to? This is June 8, Market, 2017. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going back to pastor institutional religion. I'm done. I'm finished. The National Prayer Chapel is now going to be totally devoted to meeting the conditions of revival and godliness. I am giving my whole heart to this. I will bend every effort I have on this radio and at the National Prayer Chapel to join together with others who will pray and confess and give and sacrifice to change Washington, D.C. and this nation with intercession for Pentecost power once more. Will you do this with me? Will you make whatever decision you have to make? Will you give yourself entirely and completely at a very personal level that the lost could be saved? I need your prayers. I need your financial support. Everything is on the line. And I need you to come, if the Holy Spirit leads you, to the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday. And we will begin the process of prayer, of sharing, of confession, of weeping before God, And we're going to wait on God. Now, some of you are calling, but there's no time left in the broadcast, but there will be tomorrow. I will be live on this broadcast tomorrow. And we're going to continue this. I am going to labor totally dependent upon Jesus for finances, for revival. I have wanted revival all my life. But I've done many other things in building the church. Today I draw a line in the sand. I'm done. This is about Jesus and total dependence upon him. Will you stand with me? Will you sacrifice financially? Will you sacrifice time, energy? Will you come? Will you inconvenience yourself? And come and pray and share and do something in utter dependence upon Jesus. I love you all. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlight from the National Prayer Chapel. You can locate us at the All Saints Anglican Church at 12 noon on this Sunday. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. 
We'll be there at noon. If you're coming, be on time. Don't drag in. Be there. Be serious. Be bold. Depend on Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory